Hey, good morning. My name is Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church. Our text this morning comes from Mark chapter 2. Um, if you're there, if you have your Bibles, you can flip to Mark chapter 2. I'll be reading uh, following in verse 23, and the words are going to be on the screen behind me. It says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what, da what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful, lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. May God bless the readers, hearers, and doers of his word this morning. Well, good morning, church. Thank you guys for being with us this morning. Um, I'm Chad Adams. Thank you for the intro, Tanner. That was awesome. My wife, Albany, and I are members of Redeemer Church, Odessa. Maybe a little bit sweeter is up here. And uh, we're just so thankful to be with you this morning. Um, I have the privilege of preaching the sermon today, and I'm so thankful for that opportunity. I wanted to say thank you to Pastor Tanner and Pastor Mark for the uh, privilege of getting to come up here and talk to you guys. I'm not a preacher, I'm not a pastor, but I'm going to try to be a talker, so you guys hang in there with me. Um, today is Memorial Day uh, weekend, and I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to any veterans in attendance. Thank you for your service to our country. We greatly appreciate you. Uh, let's pray real quick, then we'll dive into our message. So if you guys will bow with me, we'll pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to uh, just attend church together. Thank you uh, so much for our local church here at Redeemer. We praise you for everyone that comes and uh, just serves to make this happen. Thank you for the text in Mark chapter 2. I pray that you would be with us. Um, just open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to receive your message. I pray that you would use me to uh, just preach from your word, God. Uh, the words that I speak, I just pray that they're yours and not mine, and that you would uh, just let us hear what we need to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So how many Star Wars fans do we have in attendance this morning? Got a couple and some claps. That's good. So I'm a Star Wars fan, too. Um, growing up, uh, I was a big Star Wars fan. I still am to this day. As a kid, though, I used to pretend a lot and use my imagination and kind of pretend like I was in a movie or in a scene and really try to just put myself uh, in the space of my favorite character. Uh, growing up, I grew up spending a lot of time with my aunt. My aunt Sherry uh, was really influential in my life. She raised me in a lot of ways with my parents and taught me values, things that I still remember and, and live out this day. One thing she would do would be to encourage me to use my imagination and to have fun. Um, when I'm a, Picture me at five years old. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I was into The Empire Strikes Back, which I think is one of the greatest Star Wars movies. Maybe that's up for debate, but it, it's pretty good. And uh, I was fascinated by everything from Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader to Yoda, little green dude. I thought he was cool. I really liked the stormtroopers, though. I would call them the white soldiers. They were pretty cool. They'd march around and shoot after the, the rebels and Luke Skywalker. Um, part of my imagination was trying to be a stormtrooper. And I remember this one time, I couldn't find a, an Empire-issued stormtrooper helmet at age five. Maybe you guys would have better luck than I did, but I didn't find one. But I did find a basket of clean laundry, and I found my Uncle Dave's clean whitey-tidy underwear. 
At age five, this was about as close as I was going to get to a stormtrooper helmet. So I put this on my head, got suited up, and went and chased after Luke Skywalker and hunted him down. And I'm sure that uh, that struck fear in Luke Skywalker and probably my aunt and definitely my mom and probably you guys too. So just like wearing whitey tidy underwear on your head is a use for underwear, it's probably not the intended use or the use that Haynes was trying to market during that time. I could be wrong. Um, how does any of this apply to today's text? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. Just like wearing underwear on your head as a makeshift helmet is certainly something you can do, something that's possible, it's really not the intended purpose. Uh, you know, in the same way God has issued and orchestrated commands and rules in Scripture for us to live out and follow, um, oftentimes we tend to take those rules and we kind of twist them a little bit or try to make them fit our agenda or make them, uh, I don't know, seem more like what we would expect, maybe meet our expectations, and we miss the point of what God intended. Um, Today in Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at an account where Jesus and the disciples are walking through a field of grain. Uh, The Pharisees encounter them and they ask Jesus a question. They're kind of going after the disciples. Uh, You know, the, the way that they view the Sabbath law, which we're going to talk about, was more from a legalistic viewpoint. Uh, they miss the point of what God intended from this rule. And Jesus corrects them uh, and tells them the truth. Um, We're going to talk about the trap of legalism and how that can hamper our relationship with the Father. Um, We're going to talk about the Sabbath in particular. And I think there's several important points that we can take from today's message. There's three things I'd like you to think about. If you're a note taker, this is time to write down one, two, three. If you're not, that's okay too. Um, application points. So number one, the danger of legalism and how it affects our relationship with the Lord. The danger of legalism and how it affects our relationship with the Lord. Point two, the danger of placing our identities in something other than Jesus Christ, specifically in our jobs. The danger of placing our identities in something besides Jesus, specifically our jobs. And the final point will be Jesus' rightful place as Lord of everything, not just the Sabbath day. Jesus' rightful place is Lord of all, not just the Sabbath. All right, let's pray, then we'll hop into our text this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your message. I pray that you would just specifically speak to us uh, from this text in Mark chapter 2. Help us to just understand what you have for us this morning. Holy Spirit, please meet with us in this place. I know that you're with us, and help us uh, just to become more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to read Mark uh, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28 again. Or I'll be reading out of the ESV translation or the English Standard Version. If you guys are there with me, say ready. 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 I ripped that off from Pastor Jason in the middle. I thought that was kind of cool. Here we go. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So let's start with the definition of what the Sabbath is. This word's been thrown around quite a bit this morning. What is the Sabbath? The Sabbath uh, is a day of rest observed by the Jews that began at Friday at midnight and lasted for 24 hours through the next Saturday at midnight. Um, It was a 24-hour period of observed rest modeled after the Lord's Day of Rest 
on the seventh day of creation. If we look back in Genesis, we'll see the account of creation where God made everything, made the stars and the moon and the animals and people. On the seventh day of creation, he chose to rest, not because he needed to, but because he chose to. And the Sabbath is something that we model after him. Uh, the fourth of the Ten Commandments talks about God's command regarding the Sabbath to the Israelites. An example of this command can be found in the book of Exodus, which is in the Old Testament. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And that's in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. The Sabbath uh, also was designed to set the Jewish nation apart from other peoples. Um, it was a day that was consecrated uh, to make God's people his own chosen people. The observance of the Sabbath showed that the Jews were, uh, belonged to God, and then it showed the world that God had chosen them to be a specific set-out-and-called people. In Ezekiel, uh, he talks about this, I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules, by which, if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between me and them, that they might know that the, I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And that's Ezekiel 20, 11 through 12. As Exodus 20 states, the Sabbath not only applied to the people, but also to their livestock, to servants and foreigners living in the land, and even vegetation, which could not be harvested on the Sabbath day. The issue in this particular passage is that the Pharisees took God's commands, God's ordinance, to keep the Sabbath, and tried to go even farther with man-made rules and interpretation to make the Sabbath more difficult to break. Maybe not a bad idea or mentality, but they missed the point. We'll see that further in the text. Um, the Pharisees taught specific rules to the Jewish people that placed more restrictions on Sabbath observance. Some of these rules made sense practically. There were some rules about not being able to plow or even hunt. If you're a hunter, that kind of stinks, but I could see that, maybe trying to take some time off to hunt and rest. Uh, there were some other rules that uh, weren't quite as practical. There were rules about how many knots you could tie or untie. There were rules about how far, how far you could walk. Uh, if someone fractured their arm or dislocated their wrist, you couldn't set it back because that was not necessary. There were some rules about uh, even how many stitches you could sew. So if you're Betsy Ross on the Sabbath, it would be a tough day. <laughs> there we go, that's pretty good, okay. <laughs> um, one particular instance, there was a rule about if a building crumbled and there was a pile of rubble and people were trapped underneath it, you could dig through and find people that were alive and get them out because that might be a life-threatening situation. But if someone had died, they had to stay in the rubble until the next day. Just kind of bizarre ruling. Uh, the general rule was to not do any work that was deemed not absolutely necessary on the Sabbath day. Uh, I could see that principle. It might even apply to some of us today. In fact, when I leave here, I might look at Albany's list of chores for me to do and say that those aren't absolutely necessary. Can I get an amen? Uh, I didn't hear Albany's. Amen. So let's go to verse 23 and 24. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So the disciples were picking heads of grain in a grain field while traveling. The Pharisees had multiple issues with which they could have talked to Jesus and the disciples about. Um, in this particular scenario, 
Uh, those could be traveling on the Sabbath. They could be harvesting on the Sabbath. The religious leaders taught that you really couldn't travel more than 1,999 paces, which is roughly 800 meters, if you use the metric system. Uh, and this was considered a journey which would break the Sabbath observance. There's a famous theologian and pastor, R.C. Sproul. Uh, he gave a sermon uh, that I listened to trying to prep for this sermon. And he had a joke I thought was pretty good. He said, you know, honestly, all of us would have broken that Sabbath travel rule by walking into the church service from the parking lot. It's like, well, okay. I mean, you know, lucky for us, we park at the Fundome, which is really not that far from this meeting space. And we're even more lucky because the breakfast buffet is just around the corner. I think we can make it work if we really counted our steps closely. So, um, I thought that was pretty good from him. The second issue the Pharisees had with the disciples is regarding the plucking of heads of grain on the Sabbath day. Uh, this could be deemed harvesting or deemed reaping, if you will. Deuteronomy 23:25 talks about uh, permission to pluck heads of grain from a neighbor's field. Um, that was okay. The problem is that it was on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees really kind of honed in on that. Um, notice how previously in Mark chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, in another account, Jesus heals a paralytic man. A couple weeks ago, we heard a sermon on that. Um, at that time, if you'll notice, the Pharisees thought in their minds, who is Jesus to do this? Now they're becoming bolder. They ask Jesus audibly with their speech, uh, what's going on here? Why are your disciples picking grain? We're going to see a rift between the Pharisees and the disciples continue to widen as we go through Mark's gospel. Um, this is something that we should pay attention to as we read through the gospel um, because ultimately the Pharisees get so upset that they plot to take Jesus' life. Continuing on to verse 25 through 26. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? So Jesus could have responded to the Pharisees' question in many ways. If you're like me, I mean, I might have been kind of, you know, intimidated by the, these teachers asking you questions. I could have been frustrated and caught off guard. Jesus, like he always does, responds promptly and perfectly. Uh, he could have turned them away and given them a harsh answer, but what he does uh, is ask them a question. He kind of picks on their knowledge, their information, their title, their job as a teacher, and asks them a question. You know, the Pharisees went to school and learned how to interpret the Jewish law and the scriptures. This is something they would have taken pride in. This was right in their wheelhouse. Um, you know, what he does uh, is he asks them, have you ever read this story? And he would have asked them, you know, a historical story that they would have known, they would have studied many times. He asked them specifically about this instance with David and the mighty men who were on the run from King Saul. They were running as fugitives, trying to outrun King Saul, who was after David's life. They get to this point where David and his men are hungry, they're tired, they're weary, and they need something to eat. While on the run, David and his men end up near a tabernacle, and David elects to go inside the temple, the tabernacle, not the temple, um, this place where there might have been help and refuge. What he does is he finds the bread of the presence, and that's just word for 12 loaves of bread that were set apart for the priest, specifically to partake in on the Sabbath day. And he decides, I'm going to take this bread and give this to my men so we can have something to eat. Uh, Christ's intent regarding this encounter is not really to, to pick on who was the high priest at the time, but to look more at David's actions. Why did David do this? And specifically not to pick on David breaking the rules of the Torah, to break the Sabbath rule, or to take the bread. 
But what he does is he looks at uh, David's actions, um, acting out of need, trying to take care of his people. And he looks at this as a precedent that we're going to see. A lot of the time, David is alluded to as the Messiah prototype or the Jewish kind of precursor for what the Messiah might be like. We're going to see this also in Mark's gospel as we continue to study through it. David's a good kind of precursor or foreshadow of Christ who is yet to come, and now he's here. As Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6 states, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And that's in Jeremiah 23. You know, Christ came from David's lineage. Uh, I love the, the language there, a righteous branch. And that's who Christ is. He's the righteous branch off of David's lineage. You know, the Messiah, the one and only Son of the Lord. David's foreshadowing of the Messiah was long celebrated and even anticipated by the Jewish people. Jesus references this story of David and the bread of the presence, uh, not to make an exception for breaking the Torah's rules regarding the Sabbath. He and his men ate this bread out of necessity to survive. And like we were saying, um, Christ is inviting this comparison to show that he's the Messiah that's supposed to be coming. Let's go on to verse 27 through 28. And he, Jesus speaking, said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Christ's response here flips the script on the Pharisees' interpretation of the Sabbath commandment and observation of it, and it flips it completely on its head. He, Jesus speaking, states that the Sabbath was made for man and not the other way around, not man for the Sabbath. God ordained the Sabbath as a blessing and a benefit to man not as some kind of enslaving or entrapping entity. Just like in last week's sermon regarding new wine and new wineskins that Tanner preached, um, this is a new covenant that the Father has implemented. And this covenant's for man, it's through Jesus Christ. You know, it's explained the same way. The Sabbath had been defined incorrectly by the Pharisees, and it was kind of defined as a burden to avoid breaking, not a blessing from the Lord designed to give life and rest. Jesus speaks with authority, stating that the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The authority he speaks with places himself in place of God and nowhere else. He makes it really clear, I am with the Lord. He is proclaiming that because God ordained and created the Sabbath, his declaration as Lord of the Sabbath places him on equal footing with the Father as Lord of the universe. He is boldly proclaiming to the Pharisees who he is as God. I love this. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus. Jesus has always been. He always will be. He is Lord. So application. Back to those three points we talked about earlier. There's three things I think we need to meditate on from today's message. First, the danger of legalism and how it affects our relationship with the Lord. The danger of legalism and how it affects our relationship with the Father. Legalism can be defined as excessive adherence to law or language in the Oxford Dictionary. I like that, excessive adherence to law or to language. This practice takes the emphasis off of faith in the death, 
burial, and resurrection of Jesus as the sole means by which sinful man may receive salvation. It minimizes the glory of God. Legalism attempts to exchange the free gift of grace for a shot at trying to earn salvation by good works or human effort or merit. Church, hear this warning clearly and carefully. I think this is super important. We ought not shrink the glory of the cross and attempt to puff up our human effort or merit as some form of comparison or equivalent act when it comes to salvation. We shouldn't try to replace Jesus. We'll never make it. When we try to place our focus on ourselves and what we can do for God as opposed to allowing the grace that God has so freely given us, we diminish the glory that rightfully belongs to the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. Grace should so stir up our affections and our hearts for the Lord that it propels us forward, it moves us forward to action, not the other way around. Grace is what drives us. Our works don't drive us. They shouldn't. The Apostle Paul states in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, that we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Salvation has nothing to do with man's effort except for the sin that we contributed requiring salvation. You know, the only thing we contributed is our sin. Thank goodness for Jesus. If we are to boast in anything, we should boast in this church. We should boast in the saving grace that we have received through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Pharisees attempted to take God's commandments, which are solely intended for God's glory, first of all, and then our good, secondly, and twist them into the opposite of what God meant. The Lord's word is perfect and complete. We don't need to add or take away from it. We need to carefully examine the intent of the word to understand its context and its meaning. We should understand and be reminded that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, for God's glory alone, as stated in Scripture alone. All right, application two. The danger of placing our identities in something other than Jesus Christ, specifically in our work in this instance. You know, the danger of placing our identities in anything but Jesus, and specifically in our work. Living in West Texas is awesome. Uh, I'm very proud and thankful to be a West Texan. I grew up in Midland. I live in Odessa now. I joke that I got to Odessa as quick as I could when I met Albany. Um, I figured it out. But I'm, I'm thankful to live out here. I think it's a great place. My family's here. There's lots of benefits. God's blessed our area. Um, the oil and gas industries are booming. They're huge. They bring us a lot of good. There's booms and busts, granted, and there's lots of wind, and it's kind of dirty sometimes. But it's a good place to live, all in all. Um, if we ask ourselves honestly, I think we can probably all identify with this to some varying degree. We put a lot of emphasis and a lot of focus on our identities and our jobs, you know, in our work. Uh, I think that's, you know, a good value to work hard. There's nothing wrong necessarily with working hard. Um, I think it can be a danger, though, if we try to make everything about working harder, working faster, working longer, working better to make it or to achieve success. Often we'll compare ourselves and our status to our neighbors and our coworkers in some kind of effort to, I don't know, maybe better ourselves or better ourselves compared to somebody else. We miss it. Working hard and giving our best effort is not wrong and not necessarily sinful, but if we put our identities and all of our stock into that, we miss the point. We are sinning. We need to remember that our identity is first and foremost in Jesus Christ. The Pharisees placed their identities in the status of being religious teachers, 
who were looked up to in Jewish society. They were revered as leaders and considered the example of how to practically live out the law of the Old Testament. Their job was to interpret and teach the law to the Jewish community. You know, by placing identity and status and work, their mentality allowed pride and arrogance to hinder their view of Christ, speaking about the Pharisees. So much so that they felt threatened by Christ when he corrects their interpretation of the law, specifically the Sabbath, and then when he claims to be Lord of the Sabbath. Like we talked about earlier, we're going to see this rift continue to widen between the Pharisees and Jesus. This ultimately leads to the plot to take Christ's life. Church, we need to be really careful not to get caught up in placing our identities in the status of work. This is so easy to do and very tempting because our Western culture places so, uh, so much emphasis on worldly success and what the world deems as successful. We must remember that our identities are in Christ Jesus alone. We are new creations purchased and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and there's no greater identity than this. How awesome is that? The Apostle Paul states in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's workmanship or his masterpiece created in Christ for good works that God prepared beforehand for us to live out and perform. As born again, heart transformed, Jesus following believers, we are born again into a new identity as adopted sons and daughters of the King. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I love that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 our identity is not defined in our position at work or in our paychecks or our status in society. Church, let us repent if we have placed our identities in anything other than sons and daughters of the King. We have been given sonship or daughtership in Jesus Christ. We are children of the King of the universe adopted into an eternal family through Jesus. We will never be more valued than we are in Jesus Christ. Third and final point. Hang in there, we're almost there. Jesus' rightful place as Lord of all, not just the Sabbath. Jesus' rightful place as Lord of everything, not just the Sabbath. Jesus states that the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. He declares to the Pharisees, to the disciples, and ultimately to the universe that he is Lord and therefore God. Jesus was in the beginning of creation in perfect harmony with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We read that in Genesis 1. Uh, we see that also in John 1, talking about in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He established the Sabbath and designed it to be a life-giving gift for man and redefined this gift for the world to see in this account in Mark 2. He didn't define it wrong initially. Man messed up that definition. He redefines it for us and corrects us. We should be careful not to miss out on who Jesus is as Lord. He is not only Lord of the Sabbath, but Lord of the universe. The Apostle Paul states in Ephesians 1.22 that the Father has put all things under the authority of Jesus for the benefit of the church. Everything is placed under Jesus' authority for the benefit of the church. We, as God's creation, have the amazing opportunity to enter into a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Lord of the universe has freely laid down his life to die on a sinner's cross in order that we as sinners might be redeemed and raised to new life. If Jesus is Lord over our eternity, 
he can certainly and certainly is Lord over our day-to-day. If we can trust him with our eternity, we can trust him with the day-to-day things. Christ is the cornerstone of his church. I love that imagery, a cornerstone. Uh, A firm and everlasting foundation that we can anchor our souls to and trust completely. I was talking to Mark earlier uh, about resting on the Sabbath. We can find rest in Jesus on the Sabbath. You know, if we can trust him with our eternity, with our day-to-day, we have nothing to be anxious about, if we're honest. You know, it's easy to read this in the text. It's easy to think about it and talk about it, but it's much different to live it out. I think that's a good challenge for us. Find rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may we never forget and lose sight of Jesus as Lord of all. May we never forget that Jesus has been placed by the Father as head over our eternities as well as each day we live. We can have confidence in the Lord to see us through each day, no matter what we might face, because he has seen us through eternity through the saving and redeeming work of the cross. We should also be sure to submit our lives to Christ as he is Lord. We have been bought with a price, and now we are new creations in Jesus. He has redeemed us for his glory and our good. Thank goodness for that. We should respond to the Apostle Paul, or as the Apostle Paul states in Romans 12, by giving him full control of our lives as a living and holy sacrifice to the Lord in order to worship him. Let us respond to Jesus as Lord and King with reverent hearts, full of praise and thankfulness for everything that he has done, everything that he's going to continue to do, and what he's yet to do for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to read from Mark chapter 2. Thank you for your story uh, about the grain fields and uh, just Jesus, as you so um, just diligently uh, laid out what the Sabbath should look like for us, Lord, help us to repent and uh, just turn our hearts from getting caught up in legalism and trying to earn our way to you. Uh, sometimes we misinterpret things. God, forgive us for just uh, missing the ball sometimes. Thank you for grace in that aspect. Lord, I pray that we would place our identities in you, Father, as new sons and daughters, we're new creations. We're not the old anymore. You died for us, and by the saving work on the cross, we have received sonship and daughtership by faith in you alone, God. I pray that we would remember, too, that we're new creations. Uh, we have an opportunity to engage and enjoy the Sabbath and find rest, but also find rest in you more than just on the Sabbath day. God, you're Lord of everything. You're Lord of the universe, you're Lord of each and every moment, each and every circumstance, everything that we might face in life, you are sovereign over. May we find peace in that, God. May we find rest in you. We want to cast our cares and our anxieties to you and our stresses and our identities and trust you, God, that you've got this. I pray that you would uh, just uh, open our eyes and our hearts to, to receive you, God. We'd be more like you. Prune what needs to be pruned. God, I pray that you would just quicken our hearts to be more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.